Costello says that music is the universal language of mankind. And songs have a way, don't they? They have a way of setting moods. They have a way of automatically causing you to, to feel something or to feel something different than you've been feeling up to that point. Music or a certain song has the, this way of, of causing an internal reaction within us that can, can transport our minds to a different place and a different time. And we do things, we categorize things, we put things into playlists. And we have certain playlists for certain things, and we have playlists for all sorts of occasions. Uh, if you're like me, I've got several different playlists. And one of my favorite playlists is a cooking playlist. And so it goes something like this. And you can see it. The, the tortellini is out on the countertop. You can smell the garlic bread. And it shows. It is going to be a good night at my house. We're going to be cooking up a storm. And then Lori calls me, and she says, hey, remember, it's Friday. We're going out. And so we're going to hit the town, right? And so we're, we're, we're now, we've moved from tortellini to twerking. Then she says, but remember, it's girls' night. We are not going out. We are going out. And then I'm stuck at home by myself, not knowing what I'm going to do. None of you have called to invite me out, but I remember I still got pasta, right? And so we hit it again, like, hey, it's all right, you go have your time. But it has a way of creating a feeling, right? And every single one of us, when we hear those things, it, it just causes something internal to happen. It can also transport us to a place. I have a gym playlist, and I need all the hype I can get to get me on the treadmill, right? And so I've got to sit in the car before I walk in. You're like, dude, you've spent no time on a treadmill. Who are you kidding? And it's like, I got to go, you know what? I got this. I got this. And the reason I've got to get on the treadmill is I've got to be able to fit into a suit because I've got a wedding to go to. Now, if you've been to a wedding in the last 10 years, you know what I'm talking about, right? This song plays. You guys going to the same weddings I'm going to? And then on the car ride home after the wedding, you know, nah, we're not going there. <laughs> but uh, here's the point. Every single one of us, have, we have a song. We have songs. We have categories of songs. We have genres of, of music that we go to. And we create these playlists for all occasions. And sometimes they help us get hyped up. Sometimes they help us heal. There's just moments where, you know what, I need some peace and calm. I need something to give me that soothing feeling because it's been a, a long day. Sometimes you want to set certain moods, and that's why Henry Longfellow says that music is the universal language. And it's from God. See, God knew this, and so he created music for that reason. And there's a, a collection of songs it's really poetry set to music, but there's a collection of psalm, songs in the Bible called Psalms. And what you need to know about it is, it is it's a songbook that is written by various authors who took something that was very personal. And they wrote it in such a way that it became universal. 
And so what we're going to see as we unfold these over the next few weeks is that these are deeply personal things. And every song that was written, uh, I don't know what Beyonce was thinking when she did Run the World, but these are deeply personal things. These things come from our soul. And what we do is if we're good at it, we write something that is so personal that it becomes universal. All of a sudden, what they felt in a moment becomes what I feel in a moment. And so God collects these things and he puts them in this book called Psalms. And what you need to know about Psalms, there's 150 of them. And no, we're not going to go through 150 of them over the next few weeks. But there's 150 Psalms and we know that there were at least six authors. We know that that 50 of them or so, we don't really know, but there was this, this very personal feel that all of them have. There was one that wrote the majority. There was a major songwriter named David. And you may know David from some other stories or some other places in his life, David and Goliath, David the king, David and Bathsheba. And so this guy, he, he was kind of up and down. He experienced highs and he experienced lows. And so he wrote 73 of them that we know of. There's about 12 others that we believe, and so the majority of these comes from his playlist. They come from his songbook. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to listen in. We're going to tune in to David's psalms. And we're going to listen and see if we can catch some of the heartbeat of what David is saying, the the personal. And we're going to see if we can apply those things universally to us, to my situation, to some things that I'm going through. And just like modern music... The psalms are for every mood. There is a psalm that is there for every season of life you're going through. There, is, there, there are psalms that will speak into celebration, and there are psalms that will speak into what is known as lament. These moments when you're not sure if you can put another foot in front of another, there is songs for those things. Just like modern music, when we set up our playlist, David sets up these playlists And there there are moments when we don't have words for it, but man, we can think of a song for it. And so we're going to start this this series with the most well-known psalm that was written by David. And here's what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, if you're like me, I grew up thinking that this psalm was something that we used to say in the locker room before a football game. Or maybe you grew up where, you know what, it was one of those that was on print or maybe it was verbally said at a funeral. Or if you're like me, my grandmother had it knitted on like a throw that she threw over a chair. And so you're like, oh, Psalm 23, I know. And what I understood was this. I knew it by heart, but I had missed the heart. I knew I could recite it. It was a little more King James back in the day when I was reciting it. You know, my cup overfloweth. 
And I knew it by heart, but I had missed the heart. I had never stopped long enough to hear the rhythm and to hear the heartbeat, to hear the melody of the song. So listen again. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you feel it? Can you feel the heart? Can you feel the rhythm? Can you feel the expression? Can you feel the melody of the song? And here's what he's saying. That it is complete confidence in the protection, Lord, that you will provide and I am completely dependent on you. What David is saying and what he's expressing, what what the heart of this is saying is that, Lord, even in the moments where I don't know what to do and life has crashed down on me and I'm crying, God, I need direction. God, I need assurance. God, I need you to direct me. I need you to lead me through this season. Lord, guide Lori and I, this last fall, we were in Italy, and it was a strange place. We didn't know anything about it. We, in fact, if you really saw how this trip came together, we literally sat around a dinner table one Thursday night and said, hey, we need to take a trip. How about Italy? And so like three weeks later, we're on a plane to Italy. We didn't know a whole lot about it other than what we had read on TripAdvisor, and that's where everybody goes when they travel overseas, right? I mean, if TripAdvisor says it's good, it must be good. Let's do it. But you know the best thing we did while we were there? Outside of eat a lot of pasta, we hired a guide, and his, his name was Richard, I believe. We, we couldn't exactly remember. It was probably pronounced way better than that because he was Italian, but we, we hired a guide, and what the guide did for us, he did three things. He showed us things that we would have most likely missed if we had not had him, especially where to get the best deals. There were times when he would say, let me describe to you the market that you're about to go into. You don't want to hit these booths. They're going to rip you off. Those are the valleys of the shadows of death. He said, you don't want to go there. He said, you want to make sure that you keep on walking, go to this, you know, and go down to the bottom of the hill. If you take a right, they've some of the best pastries you ever eat. And so he showed us, he guided us toward the best places. The second thing he did was he kept us safe. There were, there were parts of town that maybe we didn't want to go to, or there were things that were just like, hey, you need to watch out. If you get too close here, you know, you might fall, and you don't want to do So he kept us safe because he knew the path. And the third thing he, he did was he gave us, on the trip back, he gave us the most tasty, oh, I still think about it. It was the best buffalo mozzarella I have ever had in my life. He provided this. In fact, I was like, is there any left? Like, if you've got some extra in that bag, I will take it. But that's the value of having a God. And so we saw things that we normally wouldn't have seen. We were directed in ways that gave us the best possible uh, experience in that moment. We stayed safe, and he provided us with something that was local that we would have never found on our own. And this is the picture that David paints. He says, I'm going to take some words. I'm going to set it to music. I'm going to make a song. He says, but I'm I'm going to give you a picture of God as a guide. 
In fact, he uses the word shepherd. He says it's the imagery of being led, for, led through, cared for, and guided into the best places. It's this imagery of sheep. And so in verse 1, listen to what he says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. So right out of the gate, what we see is that this is both personal. David says, this is my shepherd. He says, this is something that while, again, it's universal, it's still very personal. And he says that it's not just my, he said, I'm going to couch that with, it's a trusting relationship. He says that he is my shepherd. See, this term shepherd would have been a familiar one. And it's not just the guys that we see show up on the nativity of Jesus at Christmas. It's not just the guys who were taking care of sheep in the field. This imagery would have cast a much larger shadow than that. See, they weren't the only people that called themselves shepherds. Did you know that kings and monarchs also referred to themselves as shepherds? There were times in culture where they would use phraseology like, I'm shepherding my people. I'm shepherding my country. I'm shepherding my territory. And what they would say and what they meant in that was that they felt the responsibility because they knew what the people needed. And so they felt the responsibility of either providing those things, they felt the responsibility of navigating through some of life's or the city's or the territory's toughest moments. They said, I have a responsibility to provide, to protect, to guide, to lead our people, to lead our territory, to lead our country to a different place. This term meant that, you know what, you can know the person and you can trust the person because they are walking in step with you to some degree. And while they may have a, a, a different perspective, they're still in the same city, in the same territory, looking out for the same things. And so it was, a, it was a kingly term. It was a monarch term. As well as those who would do the physical labor of shepherding, this was a term that could be trusted. And so David says, the Lord God is my shepherd. It's personal and it's trusting. There's something else I think that's really interesting here that's kind of hidden in this, is that remember David is a king. So what he does here is he says that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my king. So the king who answered to no one puts himself underneath personally, admittedly submits to the kingship, the trusting relationship of God. And so submission to is a part of this trusting relationship. So out of this trusting relationship, here's what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack Nothing. And you're like, now we're talking. Now that sounds appealing. Man, I'm telling you, Jason, I've got a list that is a mile long of things I need and things I want and things I don't have yet. And I just want to kind of hit the pause button for a second. Before we get out the wish list of things you don't have but you want and you don't have them yet and you start tugging on the code of God and saying, hey, I still lack God. Now, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, but I still got a list of things I lack. Listen to again the rhythm in the heart. Here's what David's saying. He's not saying that I have everything that I've ever wanted. What he's saying is that because of my personal trusting relationship in him, I will never lack for what I need. And guys, there's a huge difference when we read this psalm and we begin to create a list when it says, hold up, there's a promise here that I will lack nothing, but I can still think of a hundred things I want. There's a difference in that 
and saying, God, when I'm in a relationship with you and I can trust that relationship, I am confident in that relationship, you know what? I know that in that I lack nothing when it comes to what I need. And David says, that's the intro. That's the context of this. And so he, that serve, that trusting, personal relationship serves as the intro. And out of that comes three what we'll call stanzas. There's three more rhythms that come out of this. And so in verse 2, he begins to say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. What he does is he paints us a picture of what I'm going to call the abundant life. It's the abundant life. And you go, I'm not reading a whole lot of abundancy in that. I mean, we're talking about grass and water. You've got to remember that, again, during this time, the imagery that David paints is not the imagery that he sees in day-to-day life. The imagery that he paints is lavish and pleasant. It's abundant. You've got to remember that David and, and these people that would have sung and, and been a part of this song, their region wasn't always lavish and pleasant. David's land, his region, would have been rocky and dusty and dry. It was the farthest thing from plush and pleasant. And David says that when God is my shepherd, when I'm in that relationship and I have confidence in that relationship, when I'm trusting in that relationship, when he is my guide, when I put faith in that, he leads me to better places than what my eyes can see and what my moment dictates that I'm supposed to be experiencing right now. We look at some circumstances in our lives and go, man, this is dusty, this is dry, this is rocky. And he says, lean in, lean in. Go beyond what you can see and go beyond that. Go to the moment where you allow God to direct your mind, direct your soul, direct your your spirit to better places, to pleasant places. Look at the imagery. He says, no, I don't know what I see from my balcony, but what I am internally, what I am spiritually grasped into what I'm getting right now is oh it's green grass it's quiet waters it's right paths I find refreshment in a dry and parched land in a dry and parched season my soul still is being refreshed and remember that when he says that he makes me lie down he it's not God you know putting an arm bar on him he says no it's not that he's beat me into submission no he's invited me into something He has made way for me to experience these things. He's saying it's an invitation that if you can put my trust in in me, if you can trust the direction that I'm giving you, that there's more to life that can be experienced. Even in the midst of some of these moments, there's more to life than can be experienced in this dry, rocky moments. you got to keep in mind that this is a statement of certainty. We're not left hoping. We're not left guessing. He says, no. He says, he leads me there. And because of that, regardless of of the dust that never seems to settle around me, I know that there can be green pastures. And by the way, he says, all of this is not just for your comfort. It's for his namesake. It's for his glory. It's, It's for him. So it's both personal, but it's also unprecedented. What David says is that it's it's there for his glory. We get to bear in these moments when we put our relationship, when we put our trust, and we begin to be led through these seasons of life. He says, in this, you get to bear his name. He says, you get to do all of these things for his name's sake. We're allowed to, to represent 
We're allowed to preserve the reputation and character of God by how we choose to be led through certain moments. And I look at this and go, what kind of king does that? What kind of king is going to allow or invite common people, people that don't have it all together, people, as Chris said, imperfect people, what king is going to allow them to be the, repu- re- the representation of his name? Well, God. It's a king who loves his people because he created his people to be just that. He created us to be image bearers. We live life for his name's sake. Every single one of us. So with God controlling, with him guiding, I experience abundant life. He says, but there's a second stanza to this. Verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He says, in this you also get to experience a secure life. See, what David describes here is what everybody in that region would have known as a major threat. It would have been uh, the darkest valley, or maybe, you know, in another version you've seen, you know, the valley of the shadow of darkness. What he was referring to was that there were moments throughout the course of the year that they would have to cross what would have been known as the Wadis. And in that, it was these moments, or these places, these regions that the mountains would cast shadows, and it would be a valley. But in that, there would be a stream, and so when rain would heavily fall during certain seasons, it was very dangerous. It was dangerous because the water would get high, it would come quickly, it would get out of control in a moment's notice depending on how that water was running off those hills and it would cast shadows that would play tricks on you. And he says, there is a ravine, there's a channel. He says, but even in the midst of those, even in the middle of the valley of the shadow that could sweep me away to death, he says, despite threat, despite oppression, despite being washed away, I am unafraid. And again, we get in these moments when we go, I wish that was possible. And so we begin to question, God, how in the world, in the midst of moments in life that are absolutely sweeping me away, how in the world am I supposed to experience this? And he gives us the answer. He says, because you are what? With me. You're not alone in those moments. In those valleys, in those shadows. You're not alone in those moments. And it's those moments where, again, when I've established my foundation as a trusting relationship, I look and go, I'm not only not alone, but God, you know this terrain way better than I do. You see it from a different perspective, you see it from a different place. God, you know the best route. And so I'm going to lean in and trust you that in the right time or through the right people, you know what, you're going to reveal that route and you're going to lead me to safety. You're going to lead me to the safer places. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to follow your footsteps because, God, you are a way bigger God than I am. Last spring we were hiking up at Burgess, and my dad and mom was with me. And uh, my dad, you know, has some physical things that are going on. He's had some major neck and back and so he you know he just he's very careful it's the best way I know to put it and he was nervous about taking you know the hike down you know to see the falls and everything I said hey we we, I got you we're we're going we're going to do fine and so the first part of this was relatively easy and then we got to a place where there was kind of a you had to navigate kind of some small rocks that kind of led down to the next place and it, and it, it was it was pretty sketch 
So I said, you know what, Dad? I said, let me go first because if the rocks can hold me, I promise you they can hold you. For those that don't know, my dad's about five, six, and tiny. He's just a little man. And I said, Dad, if they can hold me. And so I navigated that, and I kind of scooted around to make sure, okay, that one's good. And then I'd go to the next, okay, that one's good, and then we're good. Okay, we can grab here. I was like, all right, Dad, I'm going to stand here. We got this. And so Dad begins to to, to step in the places that I had stepped in order to get to the bottom. And God's like, listen, I have traveled this before. And I'm bigger than you are. If it can hold me, I've got this. I know the route. I know the secure path. And then he goes on to describe this even more. He says, let me, let me take it another step in the secure. He says, your rod and your staff, he says, they comfort me. He describes two things here. We used to, I used to just lump those together. I thought it was one thing. And he says, no. He said, these are two things. One is protective and one is directive. He says, this staff that I'm talking about, he says, that's kind of like a walking stick. And that can be used to to stabilize a moment. It can also be used to kind of clear things that will allow you to be guided through some some rough patches or some rough, uh, maybe there's a branch that you need to move. He says, I use that staff to direct, to steady. But he said the rod, on the other hand, see, that would, would have been known more as like maybe a king's scepter, like something maybe you know, like a big ball in the end, and it could be used to ward off danger and animals. And so he says one is directive, but one is protective. And he says because of those things, he says, I can take comfortable, I feel safe, because I know that even in moments when things are shaky, you've got a staff. And in, in, in moments where things are going to attack, you've got a rod. And I, I'm comfortable, God. In some areas of life that I might not and I shouldn't feel safe, God, you've got this because you're bigger than me. And and again, David says, God, I know that you have this. That's why I'm going to lean in. That's why I'm going to call you my shepherd. That's why I lack nothing. You know the best path. You steady. And then he he gives one of the most beautiful uh, sets of imagery when it comes to this that I think is in the psalm. Listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I love this. This is my favorite part of the passage, or one of. What we see in this is that we see that this is both affirming, but it's also honoring. David switches the imagery on us a little bit. He moves moves the Lord, he moves God from being a shepherd to being a host. He moves us from God directing and kind of being out front of us, saying, hey, step here, okay, you know, do this, I've got this, okay, I've already tested this, I know that this is the valley of the shadow, he says, but I've got this, to all of a sudden, we are now around a table with God. He has become the host. It's a snapshot of not just the God, but God and the ultimate communion that we get to share with God. And here's the thing about being a host is that if if you host something, you assume the provision, you assume responsibility, and you assume the safety of your guest. Anyone who sits around your table, you have assumed those things. If you come to my house and, and you have been invited for a dinner party, you don't have to bring your own food. Unless you're about four people, then we expect you to bring your and you know who you are. But I'm going to provide. 
But I'm also going to assume responsibility for the evening. I'm going to assume the responsibility of that if the oven catches fire. You know what? I'm going to make sure that everybody gets out. I assume responsibility. I assume safety. I provide and I, I give safety. And I love this picture, and here's why. The picture that I get here is that there is a, there's a great banquet. That God has laid out the feast. That God as the table host has put more food on the table that could ever be consumed. It's a table that's so lavish. It has all my favorite things. And here's what I love about the imagery. That he allows me to sit at the banquet, at the table, in the presence of my enemies. God doesn't usher me into a private room at the, bo- at the back of Bob's Steakhouse. And he doesn't shut the door and lock it and say, now you can relax. He says, no, I'm capable of keeping you safe and I'm capable of allowing you a moment of peace and comfort. And guess what? So the imagery I get is that you're kind of at this table and standing off to the sides are the people that are waiting to get me and the situations that are waiting for me and the moments that are unavoidable But they know that in that moment, I can't be touched. And God says, so can we turn your faces from out here? Just for a moment, I've got you. And let's commune. See, I'm not in the business of lifting you completely from the bad situations. No, I'm in the midst of preparing a table for you and I in the midst of those situations. So he says, Kick back. Relax. I know they're there. But enjoy the moment. That even in the midst of this, I have anointed you. Your cup will overflow. And you know what? We'll deal. Remember, I've got the rod. I've got the staff. We'll deal with that. But in the midst of that, you get to experience communion, ultimate, intimate relationship with God the Creator. And then finally, he's going to point us to what I'm going to call the blessed life. Surely, your goodness, and that's not a question, it's a statement, that your goodness and love will follow me, it will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what I love coming off the heels of that banquet. God says, you're not just invited to the dinner party. You get to dwell in the house forever. You're like, I've had some guests like that. They come in, unpack. Next thing I know, it's like three weeks later, and they're still living in the guest room. And God says, you don't just get to sit at dinner. No, you get to dwell in my house forever. So what does it mean to dwell? I think it means a lot of things. I think it can mean that in this moment, you can take refuge, if that's what you need. Like, Dwelling in the house of the Lord is, I need to be and know that I can sleep well knowing that, you know what, I'm in the house of the Lord. I can take refuge. I can find moments of comfort and peace. 
For you, maybe it's those moments where, you know what, I just need to claim asylum for a minute. Maybe it's a, a, a moment where you get to experience the relentless goodness and love and mercy. Can I just ask, how many of you could use a place like that? Life has, has come on us. That's what I love about Sundays. I love Sundays because it's the house of the Lord. I'm not talking about this space. I'm talking about it's a moment where I get to come and take refuge or claim asylum or I get to be face-to-face with this relentless pursuit of who God is. And you know what? And, 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 and yeah, there's some things that will, will try to follow me in. There's some things that will wait on me after. But in this moment, I am in the house of the Lord. And I want you to carry something with you that just because you leave this space doesn't mean you leave the house of the Lord. That you are still dwelling. See, this is not just periodic. It's not futuristic. David's saying, no, it is constant and it's eternal. It starts now. In a nutshell, here's what he's saying. He says that the, the places that I travel that occupy your glory, I can dwell in. It's all around. Insert Jesus. Jesus, the very Son of God, the very presence of God, God himself does what? Comes and dwells among us so that we can have a dwelling place. In fact, one of the last things that Jesus says is what? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And again, I don't think that's heaven. I think he's saying it's already halfway built. I got a few things to do to put the roof on. And we see that happen through the cross So insert Jesus, it's Jesus saying, listen, I have come to be an everlasting, constant dwelling of the presence and the holiness of God. And and, and he says, and that glory still dwells, and yeah, it dwells in here, but it dwells in other places. And David says, that's what my guide, that's what my shepherd is directing me toward. That's where he's taking me, and then he kind of comes in and says, no, no, no. He says, I'm already there. And that's why I lack nothing. So to be presence, or to be present in the house, not the place, but in the presence of the Lord is to have full access to the Lord in all seasons, in all situations. Refuge, lament. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at a psalm where you go, oh my goodness, that is gut-wrenching. How much longer? God, have you forgotten me? I don't, I don't know if you're in that place. Maybe you're in a place of praise. It, you know, life is clicking and it's all good. And, and you understand that, you know what? Dwelling has brought some blessing. And I'm not talking about physical blessing, but there's some inner peace and there's some things happening. And, you know, that, that, that it doesn't matter that the enemies are sitting there. Man, I'm enjoying the banquet. Maybe you're in a season of thanksgiving. But in these moments, I get to escape the sense of distance between God. And I get to escape the thought of absence of God. David says he is not distant, nor is he absent. He is stepping everywhere you're stepping. He has the rod. He has the staff. He's leading you to better places than what you're currently. And you can approach him in full confidence knowing that you will find him. That's the promise. That's the heart 
of Psalm 23. Lord, guide me to your dwelling place. A place of hope. A place of protection. A place of peace. And a place of presence. So as we land, let me just ask you, are you currently being led? Are you allowing yourself the spiritual space and capacity to let the Spirit work on you and allowing God to guide you? Or are you in places where situations have gotten on you so fast, so quick, and it's so dark, it is shadowy, that you're just swinging and hoping you connect? Or is there a need for a moment for you to take a step back and go, okay, God, I don't know what to do. In fact, you know what? I'm not winning this anyway. All I'm doing is wearing myself out and wearing everybody else around me. So you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit. I'm going to make you my shepherd. I'm going to make you my guide. And I'm just going to trust that you will, in your time, putting the right people around me or taking the advice of good people. God, I don't know how it is you're going to work. And I don't know the resolve. But God, I know that, that I'm in the shadow and I've just got to trust. And again, that doesn't excuse us from having to, to take steps. You know, David wasn't transported against his will. David wasn't transported to the green grass. No, he was led to the green grass. And so it's in these moments where I've got to understand that my responsibility, my, uh, my, my goal is to trust, but you know what, I also have, I also have uh, a call to step into some of these things. And I know that some of us in here probably want that. Like, you're like, yes, I want what it offers. So I'm going to leave you a couple things that are really practical, and you can step into these in the house groups. I think that beginning to step into the dwelling place requires a few things. Number one, I think it requires acknowledgement. You've got to acknowledge that, you know what, I cannot do this alone. He is my shepherd. He is my king, and with him I will want for nothing. And God, you need to hear that come from my lips. That's why David starts there. God, I want to acknowledge who you are. Oh, before we get into all the other, God, so maybe today for you, your first step is just acknowledging who he is. The second part of that is like, David, you've got to take a step into something. He says, you know what? There are going to be moments when you've got to access it. You've got to get to a place where you've got to begin to access it. And, and I cannot just say that family gatherings matter. I've already covered this, but, you know, Sunday mornings, you being here matters. You know, that's why I tell people all the time, like, hey, we really missed you. It's not because, again, we want to be able to post a number. No, because I know that you not being here keeps you from experiencing something that will help you better experience something through the week. That's why house groups matter. Accessing a house group will matter because, you know what, there are going to be these moments where God says, listen, the best way that I know to work and help you through something is allowing you access to people who have been there, done that, or maybe haven't been there, but still are going to help you do it. Whatever that, like, those, those matter. He says, so acknowledge, but he says, access. That God, you have given me access to you, but you've also given me access to those who are journeying with and I think the other way that we dwell in the house is that we begin to take on the mindset of a servant. That I'm going to acknowledge who you are, I'm going to access, and I'm going to, I'm going to use that access to begin to serve other people. I'm going to begin to be the image bearer 
of God. See, the whole imagery of God here is what? Him serving us. He's guiding me to green waters. He's providing me the service of still and quiet waters. He's providing me protection. He's serving me in that capacity. That God is serving me at his table in the midst of my enemy. God is serving me by clearing out the spare bedroom so that I can dwell. The picture in this psalm is a serving God. He says, so acknowledge, access, and serve out of these. Serve people. Then you will begin to know what it's like to dwell in the house. See, when we dwell in love, when we begin to care for, when we bring joy, when we bring restoration, forgiveness, and salvation, and hope to the world, the world will go, oh, you're dwelling in the house of the Lord. Stand with me. I want to leave today with the words of Psalm 23 coming from our lips and sitting on our hearts. And I pray that this is the playlist for your week. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the bright paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's prepared a table. And I know that the table's in the midst of some of your enemies. Not literally but outside of these walls. And so for the next few minutes, can I just say that you are safe. At these tables that we set up every week, we don't do it because it's a legalistic thing that if we don't, God's going to somehow take away points. No, we do it because it's a place of refuge. It's a place that we get to claim asylum. It's a place that we get to celebrate. It's a place that we get to not just have ultimate communion with God, but we get to have communion with one another, and I don't know what awaits you outside of these walls, but I know what awaits you at the table. And it's the goodness and the love of God displayed through Jesus. Father, this morning as we go to these tables and we experience and we do acknowledge, we claim you as our shepherd, the good shepherd. Father, I pray that we access you and we begin to access one another And Father, I pray that we take this and we begin to serve. It's not something that, God, we we even take. It's something you give. So, Father, I pray today that whatever whatever the place that every individual is in here, that you will allow this song to do what it does, and that is to be a universal truth in the midst of the valley or in midst of laying on the green grass God both of those are very different places and I know that there are people in here in very different places so God whatever stanza they are in remind them of 
the rhythm that runs through it, beginning to end. And you are good. You can be trusted that you provide. You give comfort. You give peace that you have prepared. That, God, you have invited us not to a dinner party, but, God, you have invited us to dwell. And may I be able to live a little bit more confidently this week than I did. Or maybe I live a little bit more praiseworthy than I did. Maybe, God, I just live differently in the way that I interact because I'm dwelling and I'm going to choose to dwell in the house of the Lord. And may it start this morning around these tables. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. You're dismissed to the tables. Thank you.